People are always asking me, how do I do um, missions? How do we do missions? And, and even in their prayers, they're like, Lord, help us to minister to the indigenous people. And, and I'm always like, no, stop. And, uh, and, and I've even told heads of denominations, you know, if, if we're going to continue doing, if you're going to continue doing things in the same old way, then you need to stop. You need to stop doing missions to indigenous people because uh, it's just it's just hurtful. And, and it's, it's just, if you're going to perpetuate the stuff that's happened before, then, uh, then that's wrong. And it's so against the gospel. Welcome back to another episode of Undiscussed. I'm Caroline. And I'm Eric. And this is a show where we talk about things that Christians should talk about, but often don't. Today we are joined by a wonderful guest who I'm very excited to have here. We have Cheryl Bear. Hi, Cheryl. Hi. How are you doing? And a very amazing topic. I'm so oh, excited. Yeah. I had to break in because <laughs> this is- too a, excited. So ever since we started the podcast, I have been waiting for this episode. Uh, because today we're going to talk about Indigenous people and the church and in Canada. And uh, this is a topic near and dear to my heart uh, because I was just saying to Cheryl before even, uh, I, I was very, very ignorant, even though I grew up like so close to uh, Mohawk Reserve in my hometown of Brantford. And Joseph Brandt is who my town is named after. And mm-hmm. there was a residential yeah. school there. And I, yeah. I knew nothing about any of it. And there's all kinds of prejudice and things in my community. And I just didn't take the time to educate myself. And in the last two years, I took a Native Studies course. And I've read some books. And I've become like very passionate about Indigenous issues and Indigenous people. And so I've I'm very excited. Well, I appreciate you taking the personal responsibility for that and saying I didn't educate myself, but honestly, it's it's um, it's been for so many years like a secret. It's Canada's secret. They didn't really want it known because the yeah, it's it's not a pretty part of Canadian history, right? So it's not actually. I would will get you off the hook and say it's not your fault. I'm glad when you found out that you did do more about it, and that's really important. I think for every Canadian to. Uh, take that's why those uh, courses are free at a lot of universities but um, but yeah that's huge thanks for telling that story I appreciate that yeah because I I didn't know like I didn't know the residential school system was a bad thing Hmm. I didn't know that it was run by the church I didn't know like anything yeah I didn't know anything so much yeah Mm. yeah I feel really grateful that my high school actually offered a class in that oh good which was amazing which high school was it uh, I was from up in Newmarket. It's called Huron Heights, actually. So, oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, so okay. I think we just had some wonderful teachers there who were really passionate about it. And then I studied psych and social. So uh-huh. I've had a little bit of history studying that. And I feel very grateful to have some wonderful teachers and people in my Good. life. So yeah. I'm also very excited to have Cheryl here. I think it'll be wonderful stuff that we're just going to... I'm probably going to sit here the whole time and be like, wow. She's going to cry. Oh, 100% I'll be crying at the end of this. I'm such a feeler. So now now we have a challenge. Okay. Oh, huh? yeah. No, just kidding. <laughs> but Terrifying. Before we dive into... No, hopefully we will, we'll be laughing and crying. It's all going to be good. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to get to know you a little bit. Uh, so if you could tell us a little of your story or you can go as deep or as broad as you want or okay. as shallow. I uh, would love to, <laughs> love to get to know you. Oh, hell, I can do shallow. <laughs> Oop, there it is. Love it. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I should start before we do, and we go any further. I have to introduce myself properly. Okay, please. please. So for um, Indigenous people, we we never introduce ourselves by what we do. So that's for somebody else to talk about, you know, job, role, education, all that kind of stuff, experience, blah, blah. What we say is where we're from. So mm. um, so Cheryl Bearsley, Natle Huasten, Damdenusli. My name is Cheryl Bear, and I'm from the beautiful village of Natle. It's located about an hour and a half west of Prince George in British Columbia. And uh, we, and Notley means the place where the salmon return. Mm. 
Mm. Our people used to be called the carrier nation, and uh, that's because the French fur traders said we were really good at carrying heavy loads for long distances. So, and I always say, I think they were prophetic because our people certainly have carried heavy loads for a long time. Wow. Well, we call ourselves Dakar, which means the people who travel on the water. So. Very different than the people who carry things. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. Here, carry this. Oh, man. For a long yeah. way for me. <laughs> As you go broader, are there other names that would connect you to uh, others that people would know of? Oh, yeah, yeah. Good question. No, there's... Um, uh, for for Notley, we are part of, I believe there's 14, we used to, the bands is kind of a normal, like the Indian band uh, from the Indian Act. Um, we would say, now we've changed um, reserve, we don't say that anymore, we say First Nations community. Um, sometimes we have to use the old words just for clarity, when we're, especially when we're talking to other, to folks who doesn't, don't know a lot of this stuff. Um, but... Um, the 14 different uh, communities that are a part of the Dakar Nation around me. Um, it, yeah, there's, um, it goes as far as Prince George, as far south as um, Quinnell, and a and, um, little bit north and way over to Hazleton. So it's quite a, quite a huge area. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, I know a little bit that you have been a recording artist for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, when I met you today, you were unloading some albums. So <laughs> can you share a little bit more about that? And I know you've written quite a bit. You're a very qualified individual for many, many reasons. Mm. Yeah. You don't want to say it, but we're going to force you maybe. Is mm-hmm. that okay? Sure, yes. That's <laughs> fine. Yes. No Humble worries. brag, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Thank you, yes. Yeah, no, I have uh, three albums. Uh, the first one was recorded in uh, 2007, and it's uh, I'm really uh, was excited about that one. I had I had been singing. My mom my mom went and worked in a lot of inner city ministries and at different native rallies or prayer meetings around BC. And I just you know kind of thought I want to learn how to play the guitar. And I loved singing. So um, so the guys that were um, playing they were happy to show me some things so so I learned when I was about 13 14 um and then but but I wasn't I didn't start writing anything until I had been pastoring a church for a while and and then I was at a a, um I was invited to do worship and uh so I had this really neat team it was a Vancouver based team we were right on uh, a church was right on the downtown east side which is known as the poorest neighborhood in Canada and there's a um, usually in the inner city, there's about 50 percent of the of the population is indigenous. People say 30, but I'm my sort of um, you know just looking at the population, it seems like it's more about half. So I had this really cool team, all native people, and and we went. We were invited to this um, prayer meeting to op- to do worship, and I didn't know who the speaker was. Didn't know anything. Just said yes. Drove over to Euclulet, um over on Vancouver Island, and there we met um, Richard Twist, and he's a Lakota, Sakanju Lakota, um, and Doctor, the late Doctor Richard Twist, and uh, he was speaking, and so we we listened to him on this Friday night, then the next day Saturday morning it was it was our turn, so we did some music, and I was so proud of my team, and I was so happy, and we sat down and. It's kind of like, good job, guys. And we had really this really great drummer anyway. So, uh, and then, so Richard gets up and he's, he introduces himself and he was like, hey, you know, that was, that was really good. Uh, you guys did a really good job at worship. Uh, but, and I was like, oh no. But? Who says yeah, but? Thank you, thank you for the but there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I was just crushed. And, uh, and so I, he had my attention and he said, I wish our native people would write their own songs. Mm. So I thought, ah, oh, cool. So then that afternoon we were like, hey, we'll show him. We'll write a song <laughs> for crying out loud. So we write the song and it's, um, we stole some words from, you know, God out of Psalms. <laughs> and uh, I think we, he's okay with that. <laughs> yeah, fine. Well, we'll find out. <laughs> but <laughs> someday, but we, uh, so we sit, we go back and, and then we sing this song. And we say, hey, we uh, kind of wrote a song and and then he gets up after our set, and uh, and then he goes, "You wrote a song. That was that was awesome, you guys. Like, good job." And then he says, 
but and I, and again I was like what do we have to do but uh, but then he explained he said I wish our native people would write their own songs in our language using our instruments and with our style and then it just it, it, those words changed the course of my life and and I, I just thought this is so powerful and there were all kinds of things I had been um, by this time when I met Richard it was 1997 and I had been in Bible school but just sort of kind of cresting a wave on learning all of this stuff about contextualization and missions and uh, all of those wonderful theological concepts, which had never been applied to Indigenous people in Canada, never, and still in a lot of places. It's still not, you know, it's still not even thought of. So um, so these life-changing, uh, Richard's life-changing. I always talk, I tell his boys, I just saw his uh, family a little while ago and said, your dad's big butt changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just, it really did. His words changed the course of my life and set me on a really good path. And and also brought a lot of healing to me as an Indigenous person because there were so many times in my life where I'd lived this sort of double life of, um, I wanted to be a Christian. I really loved God. I loved church. I loved, you know, church people. Uh, mostly, sometimes, okay, Often, <laughs> that's a joke. You guys can't see my face on the <laughs> podcast, but I'm, no, I love church people, and uh, but I, I had always felt like there was nothing in the church that sort of touched my indigeneity. Like there was nothing there for me, and I felt like, um, yeah, I'm kind of going on in my please talk. Oh, that's I usually okay. Talk. That's okay. That's <laughs> totally okay. fine. So one uh, one time I went to. Um, I went to a church, and I had been going to this church in Prince George for a while, and, and a lady came up to me and said, uh, said you're Native, right? And Because uh, my mom is from Notley. She was, um, she was born right there on the res, and then when she was um, 19 or 20, she met my dad, who's a non-Native, and so she moved to Prince George and then had uh, me and my two brothers. So... Um, so this this lady in church, I was and I was a kid. I was like fourteen something, right? And a lady said, "You're you're native, right?" And I said, "Yep." And I was always really proud to be native. And I knew, even though I knew that when I told them yes, that they would change, their countenance would change. And and sure enough, it did. As soon as I said yes, I'm from Notley, and uh, she said, "Oh, there's there's a lot of darkness in your community, isn't there?" And so just kind of through this, and I was like a kid, I have no idea, and I always say I want to go back in time and and tell her yes, because of the darkness. I want to say yes, at night, there's darkness. <laughs> but, but this, uh, that idea, it's an old one, and it's, it's an, uh, in Canada, Indigenous people were portrayed either as dumb or scary. And, and those ways, uh, when, when you can tell the story, when you control the story about who a people group are, you know, who refugees maybe are, or who, you know, immigrants are, all of those, if you, when you control the story, you have a lot of power. And so the story about indigenous people being, being dumb, you know, oh, they're not using the land. It's just being wasted. Look at how wasteful they are. We were interested in progress. So let's take the land. Um, oh, they're scary. They did all of these bad things. And there's all of these, you know, you, when you talk about, um, you hear about things in history, you hear words like massacre or, um, or savage and stuff like that. Those kind of words are put on, but you don't hear those, those same kind of words put on to European, you know, armies or anything like that, right? We don't, we have these differences. So when you control the story, then that there's power in that. And so also people being scary, then it's like, we need to control them. We need to uh, subdue them and hold them and and confine them. So those stories exist still today, uh, and 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 it and it's because it's built into the psyche of Canada. It's um, the doctrine of discovery was you know Canada was founded. People sometimes say Canada was founded on Christian principles, and I always say it's not from a Christian from an indigenous perspective. It's not unless you talk about the Christian doctrine of discovery, which was essentially land acquisition and extermination of indigenous people. That was the heart of it. So, so yeah, those, if that's Christian, then that's the only one we've got. So, mm. yeah. Wow. 
I kind of have a precursor question. Me and my husband talk about this a lot, about language and how much it matters. And so um, maybe for people who aren't as comfortable or familiar with language, you've thrown out a lot of different words for people groups. And so as you as Cheryl, what do you prefer First Nation, Indigenous, Native? I'm just curious as your own take on that. That's a good question. It's, it's an important one because it's changed over the years, right? Indian oh, definitely. Was the Indian Act, we still have that. We have, there's a lot of title and rights connected to the, the term Indian, the, the designation Indian. Of course, we were misnamed because Columbus was looking for spices and elephants and found us and misnamed us all of these years. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's uh, there's, there's an old, there's a guy from the 70s, a native guy who was on, he was on a talk show like in the United States and he had a really great joke. He said, um, he said yeah, Columbus was looking for uh, India and, uh, and he found us so he called us Indians and he said, we're just glad he wasn't looking for Turkey. And then, <laughs> and my son, my son, isn't that, it's this old it's joke. Such it's a, <laughs> such a bad, like, that is like the epitome of like a it's, dad joke. I yeah. know, it's, and it's a native, it's a native guy who told this joke, yeah. so we all love it, we're like, but it's, yeah. it's a hundred years old. But anyway, this, uh, and my, my son, who was very astute, he was like 10 or something, he's like, mom, wouldn't we have been called Turks? Like, that's a ridiculous joke. And I'm like, yes, don't ruin the joke. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but no, the, so that, that term, um, like my, I have a card in my, in my wallet that says, um, Cheryl is an Indian under the Indian Act. So it's, it, there's title and rights and it's strong. It's a, it's a big deal. You can't just arbitrarily change that. And, and also there's a bit of an idea when you talk about the old Indians, you know, there's kind of this idea that they are were so different from them like they they were a different almost people group compared to the indigenous people now um, but we're the same we still live off the land all of these things right so um so i never mind uh the term it is a bit of an in-house term i never use it when i'm in public um first nations is good but it doesn't um it, when we're talking about all of the indigenous people in canada it doesn't encapsulate the inuit or the metis very distinct people so um, so the honoring way to call all of the groups in Canada, it, the sweeping term is indigenous, is the best term, because that means of this land. And the majority of our stories talk about placement. They talk about the creator. All of our stories have the element of a creator and an old, old name for the creator. And, and then the placement goes with um, the stories talk about the creator placing us somehow on the land. And... So there's always this connection, this uh, spiritual, material, you know, creator story, us, all of these things that are connected and they, they ground us to the land, really very, very, very strong ties to the land, to our, our traditional territories. Um, the best thing to call an indigenous person is um, who they are. So I love, I went to Gitsukyukla one time, it's, um, uh, what are they, it's Gixan is their their people group and uh and they're right next door to us but one of the guys i i, I hopped on the, the the drum kit and i was playing along with these guys at a salvation army church and one of the one of the elders on the team he knew me and he leaned around and he's like and then he saw me and then on the mic later between songs he goes who's that not oh no he goes who's on the drums and then uh and then he winked at me and he said oh it's that not like girl and i love that right so yeah not like girl Wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Old girl now, but you know. Old girl. <laughs> no, you just, you've already yeah. showed me that you're quite young at heart with your knowledge of memes, ASMR, so you're yeah. fine. <laughs> They're fun. So as, as we dive into the topic today, um, I'm wondering if we can put some, some parameters or, or boundaries around it because like, do we want to talk about missing and murdered? Do we want to talk about... Um, There's so much. Right? There's like, so much. Like, yeah. So like many it, podcasts could be made like, out of this. Oh, yeah. This mm -hmm. could be an For entire sure. series. And so I'm wondering... Um, I'm interested to hear about all of it. I'm sure. interested to hear about your story and so on. But I'm sure. wondering if you have parameters or guidelines that you would set about... This is what I want to talk about when I talk about Indigenous people in Canada and, and the church. Hmm. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Well, 
it's really important to me to talk about the missing and murdered indigenous women and men uh, because it is, uh, it's, it's very important to all of us. And I always say that if you asked an indigenous person, do you know um, a missing or murdered indigenous person? They would probably say, no, I, I don't only know just one. You oh, know, wow. and in my story, there's um, two when I was younger, one when I was 15, one when I was 18, uh, a friend and a cousin who, you know, it's just so shocking and so devastating when... You know, you see that um, the first one I saw in a newspaper and was devastated. The second one, it was a cousin got a phone call, and you know, it's it's um, it's life changing. And I remember the when I got when I heard the news about about Kim when I was 18. I remember I just feel like I felt like my soul just walked away from me because it was just so many things going on. Right, like she was the she was a year older than me, and um, it just seemed like, you know, how could this happen? This is unbelievable, um, scary, and all of those things, right? So, and then, of course, um, I did a lot of work on the downtown east side, and it was right at the same time that Picton was doing all of his stuff. And, and I think I left, um, I went, moved to a different church, started planting a different church around 2005, and that was right around the time when the Picton trial was starting, right? And, of course, he ends up being you know, one of the, he didn't even get um, convicted for all of the, the women that they, they, they thought that he had taken or that they had found on that farm. So, um, yeah, devastating stuff. Some of the ladies in our church who had gotten baptized even were a part of our church there on the downtown east side were found on his farm. So just wow. lots of, yeah, and it's, and it's our story. You know, there is a, there was a young girl found even on my, in my community. Um, um, five or so years ago. Yeah, it's it's very close to home for us as Indigenous people, and um, and because and and it's I think some people some can assume oh you know this there's the, there's a lot of death we have a lot of um, funerals and and people can assume that we um, the reason is because you know we're messed up or whatever we're sad or poor or whatever. Um, and and those are some of the effects of colonization for sure the the sad and the poor uh the folks but there's um the reason that we have so much grieving is actually because we're such close-knit communities we know so many people you know you know everyone from your community and then most you know the folks from the neighboring communities and you're related to other communities so uh and the way that you grieve is different as well because you grieve as a community Mm -hmm. and 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 it's important to, like, the ties together, it's important to come together and come around each other in those moments as well. Yeah, there's lots of ceremony there. We dig the grave, you know, in our community, there's a different clan that digs the grave. We fill it in. You know, you're there, you're very hands-on, and it's... uh, um, it's it's very raw, but it's it's also cathartic, and uh, yeah, the community just rallies around when that happens. So when uh, when there's a death, yeah. I would I would recommend a book that I read uh, just a month or so ago, Seven Fallen Feathers, talking oh, good. about good, um, good book. Uh, Thunder Bay, yeah, and the stories there. And I was as a father of young kids, mm-hmm. I was really gripped. Uh, by Chenny Wenjack's story and the book mm-hmm. well, spoiler yeah. alert the book opens with that story yeah, and yeah. Um, it just it's so gripping to it brings the stories home yeah um, mm-hmm. because Thunder Bay is like it's not that close to to where I live but it's close enough mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, it just really opened my eyes to a lot of the the racism and the yeah, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. that exists in the duality of the communities in Thunder Bay and yeah. the mm-hmm. school system and and just all sorts of things and mm-hmm. and it really really was powerful for me to read and hear these stories of these young people mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. yeah there's oh, also yeah. a podcast about Thunder Bay um, which is oh. such an interesting listen oh. um, I know I've wow. been do you remember the name it's literally called Thunder Bay. Oh. There you go. <laughs> Written, produced, hosted by an indigenous wonderful man. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then great resource. Yeah. Oh. And the Missing and Murdered podcast by CBC is just really eye-opening as well, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Good. Yeah. yeah. 
I'm really curious, um, as you talked about, you know, grieving and the ceremonies um, as a community, what does that kind of look like as um, a Christian and as an Indigenous person? Um, how does that interact in your faith? I'm just really curious how um, your culture and your heritage and your faith all interact and kind of create that kind of relationship that we see. I know like for me, I've learned a lot from my husband when it comes to Latino culture and how faith intersects in that way. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad that I don't have enough friends who are, you know, indigenous and can show me and teach me and I can learn from that. So I'm just really curious what that looks like for you in your daily basis and in your community too. Yeah, good question. It's it's different um, for from where I'm at in, in my experience of visiting other communities. There are some communities that are um, very close to Christianity because of uh, all of the hurts and all of the Definitely. stuff that happened, all the garbage that happened in uh, in residential schools, and uh, and of course the you know the colonization attempts. And uh, what we what I we've been calling it lately is just extermination attempts right is much more accurate and in even the, using the gospel right as a tool of that it becomes the gospel of extermination so mm-hmm. that kind of and those strong words like i know that the, the the words that i just said can feel like a sucker punch to people right because it's you know nobody ever wants to think about our and we just go into Christmas, right? You know, you see Jesus in the manger and, you know, Mary and Joseph, and, and you don't ever want to think about that being used as that beautiful story of the Creator uh, coming to us as being used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. So um, so some of the um, the communities rightly, they, they're saying, nope, we don't want this. We don't want to have any kind of a mix. We don't want um, <clears throat> missionaries in our community because they really screwed it up and we're still hurting from it and we're still trying to recover. And, and the recovery of, of language and culture and land, land is such a big, big part of reconciliation. Nobody wants to talk about the land, you know, and then what, what does restitution mean? Um, so, and, and those are those are tough things to talk about, but we have to talk about them if we are interested in reconciliation um, but in my community for um, for a funeral we have a, a very strong Catholic presence and a lot of my cousins a lot of my relatives are are Catholic I was baptized as a baby in the little Catholic church there in my community and I'm still uh, and we have a really cool priest there he's um, he's from out uh, east I think New Brunswick Anyway, he's really funny, and I love going to the church because he'll just, uh, you know, in a conversation, he's having an announcement or something, and he'll toss out some something funny and crack up everybody, right? So just, and, and just so loves Jesus, and they wanted to move him away from our community because that's, I guess, what they do. Um, after a few years, you get moved somewhere else. But they didn't want to move him. Uh, we fought. Our people were like, nope, we want to keep him. So he's been there. He can't even retire. We won't even let him retire. And uh, so he's <laughs> that stuck, good. He stuck with us. Yeah, it's been like 25 years, the poor guy. But we, uh, no, we really love him. And he's, um, uh, he's very involved in the community. And like I said, everybody loves this, this guy. He's very, very helpful. And a couple of brothers there. Um, so it's different in my community. And when other folks, you know, say you know there's communities in Saskatchewan or whatever who would be like no we don't want to have anything we don't want to have anything um, Christian religious or whatever any church stuff involved we just want our traditions Um, then we have to as Christians today we have to just say um, we get it no worries you know we have to just back off and people are always asking me how do I do um, missions how do we do missions and and even in their prayers they're like Lord, help us to minister to the indigenous people. And, and I'm always like, no, stop. And, uh, and, and I've even told heads of denominations, you know, if, if we're going to continue doing, if you're going to continue doing things in the same old way, then you need to stop. You need to stop doing missions to indigenous people because uh, it's, just, it's just hurtful. And, and it's, it's just, if you're going to perpetuate the stuff that's happened before, then, uh, then that's wrong, and it's so against the gospel. There's, I just read an article. Um, I don't, I don't watch the news. I get all my news from Facebook, on Twitter. 
So that seems like a safe way to do like it. Like a normal human. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's what my mother there's does. No, there's no uh, <laughs> risk of bias there. <laughs> totally no risk. Right. My algorithm is pretty strong. <laughs> but the. Uh, but no, there was something like, and, oh, and I follow a lot of um, native news stuff, so lots of that, which is good, because I, then I can share it on my uh, Cheryl Bear page. But this one article, I don't know that I shared it yet, but it was um, something in us from Australia, and it said, um, it said there's, there's a woman, a Christian, who is taking sacred objects and burning them, and they're Christians, and they're saying that indigenous Christians need to do this. And I was lo- and I was looking at that, and I know that there are still some folks in Canada who would be some Christians in Canada who would be kind of okay with that. Like, yeah, that sounds like a good that sounds like a good thing to do. And as an Indigenous Christian, I would say, no, that's not okay to do that. It's not okay to um, um, to go into a place and tell Indigenous people what they need to be doing, how they need to be doing it. And you know, we have all the answers, the great white savior stuff, all over again, right? We can't do that. We can't do that all over again. We have to talk to Indigenous people and, uh, yeah, and listen. I think we have, we in Canada, if I can give Christians any advice on ministry to Indigenous people, I would say, first of all, stop. Second of all, <laughs> yeah, it just, it just sounds so radical, right? It's like, Cheryl, we have one, we have one job, essentially. We've got one command from Jesus, right? Go ye into all the world. And I'm like, I know, I'm telling everybody, I'm going against Jesus' very own words. But, um, but because of the history, because of the 500 years of, um, as Richard in one of his, uh, he wanted his, his first book to be called 500 Years of Bad Haircuts, which is <laughs> such a good, such a good name. It's such a wry humor and it's got this dark edge to it, right? You know, oh, yeah. it's native humor. But um, but yeah, 500 years or so of um, colonization uh, by um, and, and assimilation and um, you know all of those things uh, via the gospel. So I think we have a little bit of time. We have a little bit. We can take a little bit of time to stop and to really think about stuff and to really listen. And I like that you said, you know, take that First Nations uh, or the Indigenous Studies course. They're free in Edmonton, Calgary. There's got to be others. Um, also, read those books. Um, there's so many, so many resources out there. Lots of children's books too, um, about the um, uh, residential school and lots of different things about the history. Uh, and and just yeah, take the time, um, listen to elders. There's um, there's gonna be much much more opportunity to hear from elders about stuff and online. So yeah, all of these, the resources, and it's important to hear from elders, especially, right? That is the key. And elders in our community, we don't just say seniors. They're just not the, you know, the old folks. Um, they're, um, elders is a term of respect, and it, um, it's, it's a very specific uh, term that we as Indigenous people use because we want to, everyone to know that we value the words of our elders. We don't forget. And they're the story keepers. They're the the wisdom holders. They're the ones that have the, the keys to, to to life, to help us to have a good life. So um, so this one podcast um, out of Vancouver is called Teachings in the Air, and it's uh, um, the elder on there that's speaking is uh, Jerry Oldman, and wonderful elder from Lillooet area. And uh, and there's, there's others I, I know of that I'm not thinking of, but there's going to be much more because there is now... Ever since uh, 2008, when Canada found out about um, the residential schools, things have changed and things are snowballing in a in a in a sense. And and lots of people there. You know, I, I remember in 2007, 2006. Well, I mean, even in 2010, it was still happening. But people would would listen to one of my talks in a church, and they would come up to me after, and they'd say, "I can't believe this. I can't believe." Um, you, that I've never heard of the residential schools before, and and so that was that was rampant in Canada. And, and now, that's ten years ago. Yeah, exactly. And and even like not even kidding, I did a concert with Steve Bell at a at a church in Toronto, and um, and somebody came up afterwards, and we were kind of taking turns telling a story and singing a song, and and we had a lot of fun. Steve's a great great guy. And uh, and then afterwards, and he had he's got some powerful stories, um, just like made me have to just pause 
and like wipe a tear away kind of stories amazing guy and uh, and then after and I would tell of course introduce my song the residential school song and uh, and somebody came up afterwards and it was uh, not a young person um, someone who's you know educated smart um, um, and said I, di- I didn't know any of this stuff like I, I'd never heard of this stuff before and I'm like you know dude you live in Toronto you know <laughs> don't you guys always seem like you know everything just kidding no uh, I, but but it's I'm not shocked anymore when folks tell me mm. and I'm always telling people you know everybody's everybody's on a learning curve in Canada and and, uh, and I'm looking forward to the many 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 more resources that we are going to get from indigenous elders to help us along because everyone um, every one of us we need to be decolonized Every oh, yeah. single one of us. So it, we've kind of meandered like a, a bit of a river there. <laughs> I and really I, wish we could just have a whole <laughs> series with <laughs> <Yeah>. Cheryl. <laughs> Maybe I'm we Marty. need to have you back. You'd oh, be the first sure. one we have back. A double guest. I double guest. But <laughs> Let's do it. There's a couple of things that come to mind. So um, one is a comment, um, and it's it's something that has been growing in me uh, over the last little while in my walk doing ministry is the realization that um, when I was young in ministry, I really felt like I needed to bring Jesus to X, Y, or Z place. And I needed to um, I needed to be really active in that. And I had a tremendous responsibility to fulfill mm-hmm. the Great Commission and all of that. And, and there yeah. are parts of that that are very true. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, as I get older, there's a much deeper growing sense that God doesn't need me in the slightest. <laughs> and he's already working and he's, he has not forgotten the people in X, Y, or Z place. Mm-hmm. And he's already there and he's already working and he's, yeah. and so, uh, so that's the comment that I think it's not that God has forgotten our indigenous people and he, his spirit is already there working mm-hmm. in different ways. Um, and so, uh, you say, you know, how do we minister to them? Maybe stop, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I wonder, and listen, those were two things, stop, listen, and especially to elders. But I'm wondering, um, is there specific advice about how to love or how to come alongside or what is a respectful way to, um, partner with mm-hmm. what God is already doing amongst indigenous communities? And I think to even add on that, like what is reconciliation actually look like the practical ways of doing that? Cause I think a lot of times like, people find a hard time just stopping and listening. White people really suck at that. <laughs> um, yes. Just calling it out. But, and so it's I think true. people just, <laughs> as a practical step, even if that's just awareness, what does reconciliation actually look like? Oh, easy peasy question. You yeah. know, <laughs> easy stuff. Yeah, feel free to speak for all Indigenous people. I have, yeah. I have a three-step oh. question. You can send me twenty nine ninety nine, and I will. <laughs> no. Oh, Lord, could you imagine? No, the uh, I think um, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission started with Indigenous people, and it was. It was an ask from Indigenous, and it's it's interesting because the apology came from Canada, and then the Truth and Reconciliation Commission started. A lot of folks kind of think, you know, oh, look, Canada did the right thing. Canada is apologizing, and then they're doing all this stuff and want to reconcile. But it was actually uh, Indigenous people had been asking for an, or demanding an apology for over 25 years, mm-hmm. and we had never, we weren't even allowed to go to court or hire a lawyer until 1955. Canada, we weren't allowed to vote until 1960. So all of this stuff, that's another reason why a lot of this stuff is just happening now. So for years, they're asking for um, indigenous um, residential school survivors are asking for an apology. And then as a part of this settlement, this huge, you know, the biggest settlement in Canadian history, and uh, um, they, they asked as a part of that, that there would be the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which is, is, to me, it actually gives me chills every time I think about it. Even right now, I'm sitting here because this is um, these are these are um, people who have suffered some of the worst injustices, some of the worst um, uh, abuse uh, known to, to when they were children, and they are 
they are sitting there saying, we want the truth to be told, not only the truth, but also we want reconciliation. We want things to be made right. So these are, you know, victims, right? And, uh, and so that's a beautiful thought. Coming from Indigenous people, and there's so many Canadians now that I talk to, I have so much more hope, especially when I talk to young people. And that's part of the reason why I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Yeah. It just fills oh, I'm me. I'm young. Serious. <laughs> well, young You may not just young <laughs> You're yes. young, Caroline. <laughs> yes. I'm a no. child. <laughs> no. Baby girl. <laughs> but, but, oh the, but no, talking to young people, seriously, and university students, college students, um, even like elementary and high school, because they're learning. Now it's in the curriculum, right? And, and when I hear younger people say, um, say, we can't believe that happened. This can never happen again. And what can we do? And all, I'm, I'm, it makes me really happy. And I think that... The, the reconciliation, I've been calling it the journey of reconciliation because it's certainly, oh, I went to a church and somebody actually came up to me afterwards very disappointed and said, I was hoping for like a five-step, you know, five-year plan. And I was like, dude, no, sorry. Does she have uh, another thing coming? <laughs> yeah, that's right. And this, it's it, and it, it, like a journey or a dance. And I feel like um, Indigenous people, we have kind of almost forced Canada into this dance. And it's like very awkward dance we don't know the steps really and it's an unwilling partner a lot of the times so we're um we're trying and i think to think about and here's part of the impossible part is we have to do um we have to we have to ask the tough questions and we have to reckon there's gonna we've got to have a reckoning in canada with the injustices specifically about the land land claims uh, is a canadian word we don't use that word as indigenous people we talk about our traditional territory and um and some of the the things when you talk to chiefs um hereditary leaders or um, elected chiefs you talk to them about some of the injustices and and then if you talk long enough to a chief, you will you will feel like you are rolling down a hill and you're a little snowball and you turn into an avalanche. It, it's unbelievable uh, the things that you would learn just from listening to uh, uh, chief and council talk about their history of their community and uh, their local government, every level of government. Because um, uh, in the past, there was always, there was never a consent, there was never consultation, there was never... Uh, talk about title and rights or whatever. There's always, hey, we're going to put this whatever thing here and, you know, we'll let you know <laughs> a couple of days in advance, uh, kind of an idea. And and everybody then, when Native people go, wait, stop, we don't, this is our traditional territory, everybody goes, no, oh, Native people are against progress. You know, they just don't want, they just don't want progress. They just don't want jobs. And we're like, are you crazy? Of course we want jobs. Of course we're not against progress, but we are for doing things in the right way and, and walking in the right way together and honoring the treaties. We are all treaty people. Every single Canadian should put up their hand and say, I am a treaty person and how then shall we live? So reconciliation is a is a grand, beautiful concept and it's going to take work. Um, Murray St. Clair talked about, um, I think he said it took us seven generations to get to where we're at now and it might take seven generations to sort of unravel that to get and I, I honestly feel like you know things seem to be moving faster yeah reconciliation is a big 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 thing and I think we're this is part of the journey this is part of the education of, of people churches folks who are listening to this uh, this is raising awareness and it's going to um, um, it, I mean when people hear me say stop doing missions to native people I, I pretty much have their attention Right, mm-hmm. and then we're going to be able to have a good conversation from there, and we're going to be able to talk about okay, how, what is the best way to do, you know, missions? Well, let's go into Bible school, go back to the Lusan movement where they talked about contextualization and people groups and all of that stuff, right? And I like to talk about how the I think the Great Reformation should be renamed the Great Contextualization because essentially, like. They were all taking the gospel back from, you know, a very powerful church group who had control, and they were using that control for power and money, and and sort of uh, had the one language and the one culture of church. And these guys, just you know, Martin Luther is the the big boy of the Reformation, but 
there's all kinds of other folks who took the Bible, translated it into their own language, and put their songs, their local songs, into and put put the gospel in the common vernacular of the people, right? So, and I think that's what we're we're wanting to do for Indigenous people. What does it mean? One of my profs, Rick Watts, I'll fin- just finish with this um, quote out of my profs from Regent College in Vancouver. He said, "If Indigenous people don't understand." Jesus within their own worldview, do they ever truly become Christian at all? Mm. Wow. So, yeah. So that's our that's 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 our job. That's our role here. Um, so yeah, like I said, five year plan should be pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> you I've I have so many questions. I know, there is so many questions. <laughs> so good. You've touched on this a couple times, but I would like to like go right at it. Um, I have a friend from church and uh, she's Mohawk and uh, she was saying that in university coming to terms with uh, her Mohawk heritage um, uh, I'm going to quote her poorly so I'll just paraphrase she would say that there was you know Christian Ange there was Mohawk Ange and then there was like like just normal social worker Ange, and like she had all these fragmented pieces of her life and Mm -hmm. it was so difficult to know how to weave them together and i wonder if you can speak to um the realities of uh an indigenous person trying to weave together faith and indigenous culture and what that is like Mm -hmm. oh good question yeah and i can totally relate uh, to her story for sure um, yeah, and part of my, my story of going to that church when I was 14 or whatever was um, that I felt like because of that question, you know, your community is full of darkness. And so it threw me into um, the, oh, you know, Native people are, you know, or being Native is not really cool. Like it's really actually um, a liability in church because I'm going to show up and everybody's going to think my, and it's because of the story of Canada, of course, and the church. Um, to to paint us in a certain way um, that uh, my land is more dark, more spiritually evil, uh, that our ways, our culture, our drum, people talk about, you know, evil spirits coming out of my drum. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's, um, and it's, it's, Hurtful. Sometimes I'll just make a joke out of it just to lighten that because it's 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 very it's very hard to hear those things and it's very hard to feel like, okay, because I'm native, I am, you know, and 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 again, this goes back to the founding of Canada, like sub, the the idea that we were subhuman, the idea that um, we were uh, second class citizens, the idea that we had to have to assimilate we have to assimilate in order to be a good christian and thereby a good citizen those are those are part of the founding of canada so when you walk in when i walk into a church um there's uh there's oftentimes well okay let me go back to when i was 14 when i walk into a church when i'm 14 um, i always felt like i needed to um leave my culture at the door kind of like an unwanted winter jacket mm-hmm. and uh, and I had to walk in and just try to ride under the radar um, and and not be noticed and of course uh, back in those days very dark hair and you know I, I look native and so I'm um, I mean the older I get the fairer my hair gets anyway but anyway but um, uh, but being a kid yeah I just uh, and, and my family was one of the only native families in that church so there were even sometimes where we would walk in and people would turn around and stare at us in, mm-hmm. in a church of a couple hundred people, you know, and it was it was like we were like hello, you know, and and just felt very strange. But um, uh, those and of course that still happens. And so this this is the the process of colonization. So mm. every single indigenous person is feels that to some to some degree, um, and and that. And we have to. That's why I said we all have to decolonize, because uh, Canadians have to have to decolonize in the way that that they think about Indigenous people. Instead of um, uh, listening to the stereotype, 
you know, going to school or learning some stuff, reading a book, listening to an elder, learning some stuff about Native people, to not rely on the default position. So Canadians have to decolonize, um, and we have to decolonize ourselves as well, and it's a tough journey. Decolonization is um, is such a process. I have been... Um, at it when I first started waking up to some of this stuff and of course when I'm 14 15 and I'm listening to this stuff and somebody says oh you have native earrings and I'm like yeah and they said oh don't those have evil spirits and I'm like oh my gosh I hope not you know (laughs) (laughs) and and those those sort of things like I I would question being native and so I sort of but I still there's nothing I can do about it right so I still love being native I love the land I love my grandpa's house I love my family I love Native people, and I feel very, very comfortable and safe around Native people. And um, and then, so the other half of going to church, I ended up having to live this dichotomous life of you know this sort of double double life, and and it, and that that gets tough. And so having to now call those things out, that's a big part of colonization mm. as well. And and but even even having. This is interesting because your your Mohawk friend, even to have the language to say, this is how I feel and this is, you know, there's this, I have to compartmentalize myself for Canadian society. Um, even to have the language or to, to begin to talk about those things, it's, it's a, I can tell and it makes me smile because it's like their decolonization is happening. It's happening and it's exciting. And we have, um, there's actually... Um, um, something on Facebook I follow a page on Facebook called decolonize myself and it just has some great little memes one of them says forgive yourself for the times that you were colonizing others and you know all it's just it's just good it's all good information we're moving in a good direction I feel like that's great that's great so one thing I'm wondering about Cheryl is as people talk about indigenous issues and and so on there's a lot of white guilt Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um Mm -hmm. how do you it's not your responsibility to to assuage my white guilt Mm -hmm. but how do you how do you deal with that or how do you address that yeah good good question um whenever i talk i try to raise awareness and if i if people end up feeling guilty about some of the stuff of the past then there's there's a reason for that and and possibly the reason is i did not know any of this stuff or you know whatever there's lots of reasons um but it's not okay for folks to say well because here's the thing that i've heard more often is um i wasn't there i wasn't a part of that that's not my problem so i don't need to feel guilty about that that's the that's the other side of this and uh and i've always said and there's other indigenous leaders that i've heard this from if you benefit from the decisions of the past from the people in your in your family from their decisions in the past then then you are you know you 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 are um there is a responsibility that has to be taken and that's why i talk about a reckoning um, because there's some things that need to be righted and so we all have a responsibility to walk together in a good way and honesty and and trying to make those things right and we serve a god of justice i always kind of feel like you know, um, and the God of justice has always lined up on the side of the, the, the poor, the marginalized, right? You see it all through the, the Bible. And, and so who are we um, in history to not line up on that same side? And I, I, I love the idea of your podcast, that it's, you're talking about things that um, Christians should be, but often are not talking about, right? All of these, there's so many issues issues and 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 it's because it's so uncomfortable it's really uncomfortable to face the reality of things and to and to kind of when you hear indigenous people say we don't want to have um um well one of the greatest um battles of with indigenous people happened at Batoche and it's um Louis Riel you know the Métis leader and he was um executed and he was um charged and convicted all of these things of all of these different things and, and executed. And so we want, um, a lot of indigenous people would like his name exonerated. We want those things lifted. And, and then so folks could say, well, wait a second. According to history, this guy was basically a terrorist. you know. And then we say, well, according to our history, this guy was um, a war hero. you know. So, so there's a middle ground. And um, 
And I think having those those tough decisions or tough uh, conversations um, will lead us to um, the, the reconciliation that we need. Yeah. Maybe just it, typically on an episode, we talk about what has the church done poorly or what has the church done well? And I feel like that dichotomy or that phrasing is not as helpful around this conversation. And so I wonder if maybe in, in lieu of that or in, instead of that, we can talk about maybe some resources or like a pastoral response to some mm-hmm. of the issues that we've talked about today. And I wonder if you could just speak to, you know, where should we turn? We've mm-hmm. mentioned like Native Studies courses or other different books or podcasts, but I'm wondering what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's lots of good resources. There's uh, more and more, uh, but for Christian um, uh, folks who are interested in, in indigenous theological questions, I think Nate's is the main um, place to go. So we used to call it, um, it's called Nate's because it's the North American Indigenous Institute for Theological Studies. We, now we just call ourselves an indigenous an indigenous learning community. Mm-hmm. And it's a wonderful bunch. We have a, a symposium every year. We're like family. We pick on each other. We're mean. We're completely not like a normal theological symposium. Um, we're very human and, and love to laugh at each other and make fun of each other. And, and we discuss some really tough um, theological issues that are surrounding Indigenous people in Canada. Two years ago, we had in uh, Wolfsville, um, we Nova Scotia, Nova Brunswick, I'm lost. But anyway, we had, um, our symposium was called um, uh, White Supremacy and, you know, blah, blah, the church. And, and it was just jarring. And, and one of our leaders, Adrian Jacob, he's a Cayuga from Six Nations near here. He said, he said, every time we say the, the term white supremacy or church supremacy, he says, all of you guys just start moving, you know, and, he's, and then he, he exemplified how they were moving. And, and it, because it's so uncomfortable to talk about these things, right? But so, so, so important. So, um, uh, but Nate's, we tackle these things. And there's uh, journals, so you can order the Nate's journals at the, I think it's nates.com. And uh, lots of good resources coming out of there. And come to our symposium. This next um, one is in South Dakota at, um, all the information is at needs.com. I don't mm-hmm. remember the university we're at there. Yeah, I think I've been really thankful for some resources that have been out there that just allow people to be uncomfortable. And I think just sitting with that feeling of uncomfortable is probably one of the most helpful things that I think I've taken some steps in. Um, and even like there's just so many social media stuff that I'm so thankful for like No White Saviors is an Instagram that I've been following for the past few weeks and some of their stuff I'm like and I would consider myself pretty radical in some ways <laughs> but um, in some of their stuff even I just take a pause and I'm like I don't know how to sit with this wow. but yeah. I'm still going to yeah. press through and understand why I'm uncomfortable about this and decolonizing yeah. myself and yeah. that's something I, I like don't that think. Term. I know. Yeah. I like that yeah. term. And it's it's a whole journey. It's not a five step plan like you mentioned. Yeah. It's so long. And so I'm really thankful that, you know, there is stuff like Nate's that you guys are doing that just allow stupid people like us to learn. <laughs> but I, you can call yourself stupid. Oh, right? fully. I, I'm not okay, gonna, sorry. I'm not gonna I'm jump only on speaking that for myself or, here. Or call myself. But yeah, yeah, no, I love that this conversation has not taken the normal flow of our podcast because mm-hmm. it, 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 it's just been a delightful conversation and I've learned a bunch and I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know you a little better through it and uh, it's been delightful. Cheryl. He's fanboying over here. Yay! He's having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I envision that there will be more conversations. Oh, please. Uh, because there's there's so, so much to there's learn. so much to talk about on our podcast we like to give our guests the final word and so is there any kind of parting advice or a question that you would like our listeners to sit with potentially um just because we like to give our guests that final little little snippet of nugs oh goodness you're asking me for nuggets nuggets Doesn't of good have to be wisdom a nugget. <laughs> it's just a final word a final word whatever final is on word. your heart well, okay, I will, uh, yeah, for a final word, I think um, I would just like to say in, in, our, in my language, Dakhet language, I'd like to say snachalia, which means 
Uh, and there's there's another word which means thank you. It's uh, masi, but then this nachalia is older, and it it means thank you for everything you've done for me. It's a big, it's a it's a grand thank you. Mm. And so I yeah, I like to just say again, thank you for the good questions that you asked because that's really meaningful. And whenever I can get a chance to talk about indigenous issues, because I feel like if I can. Um, if I can walk into a room and talk about Native issues, then the next Native person that walks into that room, that setting, uh, people are going to see them differently and mm-hmm. things are going to change. And, and that will make me really happy if I can help raise awareness a little bit. So thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And catch us on another episode of Undiscussed.